The Spirit and the church cry out, Come, Lord Jesus, come. We read together the psalm appointed for the first Sunday of Advent. Now our devotional text for this evening as you find it printed in its entirety on pages 6 and 7 in the worship folder. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its roots, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls, so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us. Lord God Almighty, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. The word of the Lord. I don't know that either you nor I could ever begin to place ourselves in the shoes of the ancient Israelites in those moments of challenge when they knew for sure their sins, their rebellion, their resistance to God's will had caused the covenant God to turn his face from them, to turn his back toward them, to allow neighboring countries to at least pester them during the time of the judges, if not conquer them, taking off the original ten tribes of the north and then eventually also southern tribes into exile in foreign lands. To know you are the promised nation from which God is going to bring the Messiah into the world. To know he has set you aside. To know he has prepared, as this psalm speaks of, prepared his people in exile as a as a root to transplant there in the promised land where he himself made everything necessary for their prospering available to them from the moment they arrived. And yet, it was never enough. 
Never enough for the Israelites. Never enough for the chosen people of God. They always wanted more. They always wanted to be like other nations, and they always wanted things that God had not yet provided to them. So maybe in a way, we do have a bit of understanding of their circumstances. You look around the nation of the world in which we now live, this moment in time and, and throughout the world, and you hear echoes in this psalm of what we experience as, as believers. This recognition of others oppressing us, perhaps even mocking us, derision from our neighbors, whether that be a national thing or whether that be what Christians experience at the hands of those who do not believe, we might also ask that question, how long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? To ask God about why this moment is one he's determined his people need to be challenged and chastised and led to repentance and contrition by the issues and the the events of the world around them in a way that has them likely wondering, is our rebellion, is our waywardness worse than the generations before? Many who were blessed with, with peace, with, with accommodation from the people around them, even unbelievers, in ways that is different than we're now experiencing. Especially by the time you get to the days of the prophet Jeremiah, of which we read in our lesson, to see Jerusalem completely desolate, to see the city of the promise, the city of the one and only temple of God completely abandoned. And yet God promises there will be days when all of that land, all of its villages, and even its largest, most prominent city will bustle again with activity. We'll hear the sound of joy and laughter of brides and bridegrooms. The cycle of life. The cycle of the experience of the believer who listens to the word of God, assesses their own sinfulness honestly, and so gives them the insight and ability to see the rebellion and the sinfulness of the world around them, their own culture, their own country as well, and to see the necessary hand of God in the chastisement and the call to repentance as a result of that chastisement that is absolutely necessary to bring human beings back into an understanding of what is necessary for a right relationship with God, no matter when we might live, no matter what the world in which we live might look like, sound like, feel like, act like, the interaction between God and humans has never actually changed. He has always desired our understanding of him as creator, as the one who sets the tone, the expectations, the rules, if you want to call them that. But as Jesus put it together in the Sermon on the Mount, all of that is about blessing us. All of that is about us finding peace and joy and consolation in the reality that God hasn't left us in our sins, but that God has given us guidance and ultimately God has raised up deliverance. Do you see the progression in the verses that call out particularly for God returning to us and restoring us? 
Take a look again. The first time that progression says, Awaken your might, come and save us, restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. And then it progresses to the next. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we might be saved. See how he's building the name of the Savior God with each episode. Then he calls on God to return. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, this root your right hand has planted. And then he goes into a conversation about the coming Messiah, the right-hand man of God, who he has planted in the world for the purpose of accomplishing the ultimate salvation of overcoming human sin through that Son of Man and Son of God, the right-hand man of God, being everything that's necessary to bridge the gap between God and his wandering people, his oppressed people, his deserving-of-punishment people. And the psalmist points to that reality that the answer isn't going to come from the people. It's going to come from that Son of Man, that right-hand man, who is going to live and die and rise again as the necessary payment price for sin. To rise from the grave to guarantee victory over death, over hell, Satan, temptation. And so then the last turn, then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we might be saved. Building from one progression to the next, all the details until finally the full name of the Savior God, the God of free and faithful grace, using the name God revealed himself with at the burning bush to Moses. Not the God who was or will be, but the God who always is available, powerful, watching, listening, moving in his mysterious ways for the good of his people. While this psalm is very much an Advent psalm, it also lays out for us the understanding that the God on whom we call has set this tone and has, has set this pattern. We don't need to wonder if he's watching and listening and caring and interacting with the world in which we live. We, we know it to be a reality. And so we call upon him to do the very things he's shown us he is and does and has through all the centuries for his people, the people of his covenant promise. We live in Advent. We might not always think of it that way. Oh, sure, there's a, a four-week, four-Sunday season of the church here where we use that word and we focus our minds in the preparing of ourselves to meet Jesus at the manger, to meet him in his word and sacrament, to meet him again when he returns at the end of time. But in all of those things, do we not realize that that truly is our day-to-day experience? from this moment until the moment he comes again? That we are always living within the fabric of Advent, 
a looking towards the skies, a, a calling upon Jesus to return, to restore, to renew, to revive. Because without him doing those things, we have no answers, we have no hope, and we are lost. But in hearing the promises of God and singing the songs of deliverance that are available to us in our Advent lives, we have a pattern to follow. We have work to do that focuses our minds, our hearts, our words, and our lives on the reality that we do have a God, an almighty God, a Lord God Almighty who saves, who revives, who will return and restore, and so we will call on his name because he makes his face shine upon us, and so we are saved. We join the throngs of Christians on this earth today, all the Christians who have lived before us and now celebrate before the throne in heaven in proclaiming and singing our Advent Psalms of deliverance to a God who not only promises but makes good on those promises, who revives and delivers in his time and in his ways. Amen.